Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and purpose in your life. So I want to make a brief introduction for those that are new. You can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book of very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me that answers a lot of very hard questions and exposes a mastery of deception and lies. And you'll find on that, in that flip book, a lot of print highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing from many fields of science that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing here. And what I am sharing about is the very purpose for which you exist and were created, for which all things exist. It is in an ultimate source of reality that is the very source of creation, and that is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love that is the very source of love. And of course, nowadays people have many misconceptions of love. In the Bible, in the Greek, in the New Testament, there's three, three kinds of love. Eros, which is the sexual. Philio, which is the feeling love. And agape, which is the highest form of love. And basically, agape involves choosing, always choosing freely, the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. The love I am talking about is described as agape love. And that is what it says concerning God. God is agape, or God is love. This love has such integrity and purity that it will not condone the slightest that is contrary to this quality of love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It will The moment love condones something that is less, it is no longer the opposite of corruption. This love I'm talking about is not only the opposite of corruption, it is the destroyer of corruption. It is so pure that, as it were, it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love. This is known as the defensive aspect of God's love or the holiness of God, or if you will, the holiness of his love. It is represented in the negative symbol, which represents cutting off all corruption and an indestructible foundation. And that's basically what reality is. That which is immovable, absolute, indestructible. So I am sharing with you about the one true eternal God. And the other aspect of this love from God, for those that are new, I just briefly want to emphasize. What I've just shared with you is the ultimate perfection of love. And its ultimate expression is in this, that it was always within the being of God from beyond time and from the infinite past to have a love so great that he, God himself, 
could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for our sin on the cross, for our rebellion against his love. He created us as beings with free will that have the capacity to love because that is the highest form of life and of pleasure and of existence and of governance that is contrary to corruption. It is what ensures a destiny of ultimate ever-enlarging creativity and pleasures of fulfillment of goodness and a destiny known as heaven. Yes, God is so great that he can communicate with all that he has created in a very personal way. In Genesis 18, Abraham is at his tent door and he sees three men standing before him that look very majestic, no doubt, beyond ordinary human beings. And he runs to them and bows before them and says, can I make you a wonderful meal? And so they say, go ahead, and they all sit together and eat. And he addresses one of those as Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God, meaning the ultimate I am that I am, the ultimate reality that is separate above and beyond creation. There is no love that is greater than this love, that God could humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. In Jesus Christ, so that you could choose to repent and be reconciled to God, to be forgiven and come into a love union with God and enter an ultimate destiny known as heaven. And I've written a book on that called Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. So check that out. It is 368 pages in a large 6 by 9 paperback, or you can get it on your phone in Kindle format. And in the future, I will be coming out with an audio edition of it as well. And I will say that even though it doesn't have any star ratings and hardly anyone knows about it because I didn't do any advertising the proper way, you will find it better than the best seller, Christian best, the best Christian bestseller on the internet because I've read that one. This one has far more thorough answers and is very interesting. And uh, you will, you've got to check that out. Okay. <clears throat> so much for this introduction. To those that are new, I do want to share with you that It is very late when I'm starting this message. It is now basically 10 o'clock. But I want to make it clear how I share these messages. The Word of God says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will seek to allow God by his Spirit to speak through me. And I do certain things to facilitate that. It says in the word of God, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart and great reverence and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves. The results in those utterances that are coming from God. And whenever Christians assemble together, they should have total freedom to share and allow the spirit of God 
to speak through them as the oracles of God, or in other words, to speak prophetically, whether it's an exhortation or a word of encouragement or a prayer or whatever way the Spirit of God manifests through you. So what I will seek to do is to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship while I am speaking this message. And the other thing I do to facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God as I cast lots on the Word of God. to get the possibility of any chapter and then I meditate on those two chapters which bear witness with each other. I do it with two independent random applications to get the possibility of any two chapters. Time and time again, those chapters bear witness with each other. And after meditating for a half hour, I speak. Now, this time I haven't spoken all week. And so I just want to touch on the chapters that I feel are important that God has spoken clearly to and given strong witness by the casting of Lot between the various chapters that were chosen. <clears throat> so, I also cast Lot to get a worship song before we do the message. And so we're going to go to that worship song now. <clears throat> I did have an exhausting day today. So I am feeling kind of tired as I'm speaking, but I all the more may God speak through me what he is wanting to speak. So we're going to go to that worship song first. Worship with that. Out of 144 songs that I picked that are on my website, this is the one that came up. And so here we go.
in its desire and love for God. Indeed, that's what God is longing in each of our lives to bring forth, is that total wholehearted love that is coming out of a pure heart. And I want to share with you now what I received by the casting of Lot this week. And it's Thursday now, but Monday I received what was very obviously strong confirmation by the casting of what, what, what God was wanting to say from two chapters which were very strong in themselves, bearing witness with each other as to the message and the theme. But when I meditated on them, I got done a little bit earlier than the half hour and I wanted to see a bit more and sure enough, even greater condom, confirmation came forth as to what God is saying this week by his spirit to the body of Christ, to the churches across Canada here where I am and across the United States. So on Monday, the theme that basically came forth was on courage unto death that delivers with miracle power from death out of a deep faith love relationship with God. And it was interesting that even when I was at the church this week, I was talking with a particular brother and another elder in the foyer, and he was telling me, brother, you need to be more bold. You need to be, don't, you know, just be free and, and the way you were when you prayed down, down there, downstairs. Yes, be bold. And he started singing out loud in the foyer an old song of one of the ones about washing being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And I started singing, he started, <laughs> people are walking in and three of us is singing out loud together. That was quite different. And I thought to myself, yeah, sometimes I'm too apologetic. I'm too um, timid. I don't want to offend people or I don't want to intrude on their space. No, there is a time when God wants us to be bold and fearless and not be concerned about people's reaction. We should be filled with such love that those things mean nothing to us compared to knowing that what we are saying to an individual or to some people is what they need, even if they are offended and are and are misunderstand us. And so I want to start reading some of these chapters that I received. On Monday, 2 Timothy 1.7, I received that by the casting of Lot. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And of course, the context of that is that Paul is wanting Timothy to stir up the gift of God. And so we do read, from verse 6 to 9, the following. Now, that verse I just read from Timothy was verse 7. And so, again, this is included here. So, here's the greater context of that verse. 
Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The context of him saying, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of a sound mind, is in the context, first of all, of using the gift of God in the midst of the assembly and not being concerned about how people might react to what God is saying through you. One of the things that is greatly lacking in the body of Christ in this hour that God is desiring with great zeal among his people is that the leadership fully facilitates each member in the body to fully function in the gifts of the Spirit. This is very clearly what was practiced in the early church. It is very clearly what allows God to fully manifest himself in a far greater way than just one pastor speaking at the front. It was the way the church was in the beginning, and God in these last days wants far more than what the church was in the beginning. He wants, in these last days, a fearless conquering, pure church. And part of it involves that we allow the fullness of the headship of Christ to fully inhabit the local assembly. And this means that each member in the body must have that freedom and be facilitated with that freedom to share. In the typical charismatic Pentecostal church, everything's done on the stage at the front. And if you want to share something, you got to ask permission to use the mic. Oh, because we're afraid of having a mess. But what does it say in Proverbs? It says there's a mess with the ox, but a lot gets accomplished. And God wants to do a great work in the midst of his people. And that means that the word of God must have free course in our midst to prevail through each member of the body. It doesn't mean that those that are apostles or prophets or teachers that may give a special message afterwards cannot do that. What it means is that as God moves on each member of the body to share, what they share will confirm and enlarge the message to be a far more rich, richer and full message. And that I have seen happen in churches that are sensitive to allowing the Holy Spirit to move through each member of the body. 
It is one of the things that God is wanting in these last days. I have a book called God Had Ship and Body Invasion on Amazon. It's over 250 pages, and it shares everything about what you can do to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. God is desiring to dwell among his people. He's desiring that all should prophesy out of a pure heart as the Spirit of God leads. It is part of what he will restore in the last days. Of course, there's a lot more involved. He wants his house to be a house of prayer as never before. He wants his house to be a house of holiness that is separate from the world as never before. And of course, holiness is what brings great wholeness in one's being. And the great reflection of the purity of the love of God and of his glory coming down in our midst. The spirit of fear is from the enemy. But when we have the genuine fear of God, we will have what nullifies fear. Because the genuine fear of God actually results in us absorbing a great fullness of the love of God. And it says in the word of God that perfect love casts out all fear. How does that happen out of the fear of God? When you have the genuine fear of God, it is a choice and a turning from the heart to recognize God first in his holiness, in the fact that he will not tolerate sin and corruption in our lives, that he is severe, even on us. Yes, the problem that Cain had was that he developed an idolatrous perception of God because he got his focus on the consequences of suffering because of the curse and he began to have a perception of God out of a measure of unbelief and unthankfulness of a God that demanded appeasement, that demanded performance to be accepted. He lost sight of the fact that the holiness of God is good because it is severe on us and on those around. But if we get our focus on, oh, all of this suffering, why would God allow all of this suffering? And we have this doubt and unbelief. Indeed, we begin to have a perception that is idolatrous of God, like a dictator. But the holiness of God is good. And when we see that it is good, we are undone. We recognize our need for his mercy. And we recognize that God is good. We accept that he is good. When someone like Cain or others begins to see God as an enigma and there's unbelief, oh, the next thing you know, you can, it can end up in polytheism because you're thinking, oh, maybe there's other gods just as powerful as this God or other outer space creatures in modern language. 
And so people begin to be agnostics, etc., etc., fall into all kinds of deceptions and distortion because they have not received in their being the need for God's mercy because they have not reciprocated that God's holiness is just and right and that we are deserving of judgment apart from the mercy of God. You cannot know the mercy of God if you first have not come into that great place of awe and reverence of how pure God's love is that it will not tolerate what is contrary to love. And so when you reciprocate God's love and his mercy, you are reciprocating his love and that love begins to conquer the fear because you begin to realize your completeness, your fulfillment isn't in your performance or in you trying to find fulfillment in natural things of this life. So I just wanted to point that out. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I know Christians that have, that don't have a sound mind, that have mental problems. And I know at the root of their problems, there's a spirit of fear. There's a deception. And some of these people, they are very charismatic. They watch all kinds of charismatic teachers and everything else. But their lives don't add up. But I pray for them. I, have mer I really have compassion for such people. That they would come to a place of recognizing their undoneness in the sight of God instead of trying to say, oh, I heard this charismatic teacher say that this wasn't sin. Therefore, I don't mind having this habit in my life. I believe God allows it. No, I know people like that. And I pray for them. that They'll be set free from the spirit of fear that is because of habits in their lives and of justifications to hold on to self instead of letting it die. Now, I want to go on and point out more of what I received on boldness. First of all, the other thing I received this day was Daniel 6. And what is that about? It's about Daniel. We are, most of us, very familiar with the story. The leaders in this kingdom where Daniel was, the kingdom of Persia, all the princes and so on, wanted somehow to get rid of Daniel because he was highly favored by the king and so on and so forth. And they couldn't find any fault in him, so they decided, well, king, we're making a law. We want you to put your seal on this law that no one can petition anyone but you, O king, within a certain period of time. And, of course, Daniel would go out and open his window up and pray unto his God towards Jerusalem every day, and they would see him. And then they said, king, Daniel isn't obeying you. He's praying to his God. And so they forced the king to have to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And the king was trying his best to deliver him from being thrown into the lion's den, but that was the way it was then. Once the king had the seal on it, he had to do it. 
So he said to Daniel, even when he was cast down among the lines, Daniel, I believe your God will deliver you. And he, he was very broken and concerned about Daniel. This is the king. And so what happens? Then the king rises early in the morning. He couldn't sleep all night. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? He's calling out, wondering if Daniel's alive down there among the lions. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths. And they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no man of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. That is the other thing. When we truly believe in the one we're worshiping, if we really believe in him, not just with our head, with our heart, when we're put in situations like this, we're not uptight and in a panic. We know that he's the center of our life, that he's in control, that we have not been in sin in our lives. We're walking a holy life. We're, we're living in a pure walk with him. And so innocency is found in us, and our belief is there. We know that God is, whatever God allows, it is of him. And so they were delivered. Daniel was delivered from the lions. And those people that tried to destroy him were all thrown to the lions, including their wives and children. And it says the lions devoured them before they ever got or broke their bones in pieces and, you know, were basically devouring them before they ever got to the bottom of the den. This is what God is calling us as his people. It's to know our God, for they that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. It says in Daniel, a prophetic word of people in the last days during the reign of the Antichrist. They that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And when we know God, it involves a life of prayer. It involves a life of seeking him to build up ourselves, to have that faith. It says we're to build up ourselves in the most holy faith. And so it is out of seeking God, spending time waiting on God in prayer and seeking him, that our faith is built up in a love-faith relationship so that we are without fear. We are bold and fearless like King David was. Now I go on to share with you what else I received on this same day by the casting of Lot. Again, it's on boldness. This one is about King David. Destroying the Philistine giant with sling stones. How about that? The boldness of King David. 
It comes against this enormous, massive man, highly trained to kill, with an enormous sword and so on and so forth, shield and so on. What are the words that King David says? Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the Almighties of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. I'm just going to turn off a buzzer here for a moment. One sec. This day will Yahweh deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine hand, thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And of course, we know what happened. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword, and spirit, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And then he goes and he takes the stones. And we all are familiar with that story. God is calling the church to rise up in this hour, to be fearless, to be filled with boldness. He's calling us to return to a life of prayer. In fact, I mention a strategy in my book titled God Headship and Body Invasion, where churches in your town or your city should come together on a long weekend to fast and pray for three days and to turn to God and to never go back to being the church the way it was. But become that body of believers that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ. Because we're living in an hour of great impending judgment. And we need to be in that place where God can use us to be bold, to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, to be salt and light in the world. God is calling us to wake up out of our sleep. And there needs to be a strategy. If your nation is going to be turned back to God and you are going to be delivered from the terrible tyranny that has obviously taken over the United States and many countries around the world, the root of the issue is to, for his people to humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways that means also that the church changes, that it never goes back in your local assembly to being the way you were. Now, I have many other passages I received this week, and I could go on to tell you basically what God was saying. He was talking about, his, about us walking in his ways on Tuesday and about how 
We're either building up his house or we're foolish and plucking it down. But if we're in the ways of the Lord, we will be those that build up. And so there's always an emphasis. The backslider, an heart is filled with his own ways. A good man shall be satisfied from himself and so on. And the emphasis again in Proverbs 14 was the fear of the Lord is a strong the strong confidence, which is speaking of boldness. And is in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, boldness. And his children have a place of refuge because, as I said, in the fear of the Lord, there's the reciprocation of knowing your identity in him because you are knowing a saturation of the love of God in your being out of the purity of his love, first of all, that allows for the saturation of his love in grace, in abundance, in mercy. But if you don't first reciprocate the holiness of God, you will not be able to be in the place of humility and honesty to reciprocate the love of God in his mercy and in his grace. In the fear of the Lord, is strong confidence because it brings a love that swallows up that self-grasping fear that is a state of covetousness, of grasping onto our own self-conscious, self-seeking desires. It says in Psalm 136, yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord. Again, these scriptures are all talking about the ways of God, and the ways of God involve the genuine fear of God. The opposite of the ways of God is the ways of the wicked, which is the opposite. It is pride, it is conceit, it is deceit. It is the failure to reciprocate who God is, to have the genuine fear of God. I will skip over Wednesday. I still, I have to admit on that day, I didn't quite get the theme. But all the other days, there is a very clear theme. Today is Thursday. And I received Hebrews chapter 2, Joshua 18. And the theme in these two chapters is basically not to be slack, as I have highlighted here in green. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? And he's saying that by his spirit to the churches today. You're all sitting back and at ease. And here your nation is on the verge of total destruction. And you're still sitting back and at ease and being the church the way you always were. When are you going to go up and possess the land? When are you going to get boldness, which comes through prayer and your church turning back to God and never being the church the way it was? You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. How much of us in the body of Christ seek God and wait on God until his power comes down and 
we are filled like it was in the book of Acts. So that we go forth in boldness. The same is in Joshua 18. That verse was Joshua 18, by the way. Now the same is in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which had first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? In Joshua 18, they were neglecting their deliverance, their full deliverance that they were to inherit, deliverance from the oppression of Egypt into their full inheritance. How shall we escape if we neglect? Are we going to sit back? If we're sitting back, we're neglecting. God is calling us to wake up in this hour. And that book I've written is on the importance of God, headship, and body invasion. Many churches, you complain about your prayer meeting. Why are you starting your church services with everyone doing something from the front? And you start with singing. Why are you not starting your main church service on your faces before God where you become more conscious of him in your midst and you're praying and seeking him? And then out of that prayer and seeking him, maybe some songs and worship begin. And then out of that, there's a time where you allow for the gifts of the Spirit through each member and you can strongly facilitate it and encourage it. And if people are so used to being passive, Get some little meetings together where each one can give a five-minute sermon and edify one another, whether it's a testimony or something from the Word of God. But let's wake up and become everything God's called us to be to this hour. If I could go on, I could share more and more and more. But it's been, like I said, an exhausting day. And this is the message and may God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message. And may, indeed, we rise up and never be the same in our lives again. May we wait on him and get his direction and his leading in this hour. God bless you all. Thank you.